So today we're going to be talking about going to our first love. And uh, we have this family friend who has had, she's just wonderful, and she lost her husband very unexpectedly, very tragically, and very traumatically a few years ago. And she was just so shaken by that. She's always in super anti-religion, super anti-Christianity, right? And all of a sudden, she loses her husband, and her whole world is like thrown into a state of turmoil and confusion. And so she's looking for answers. She's looking for comfort. She's looking for something. And, you know, she's always been just so rebellious against religion. And she, there's no way she's starting in Christianity to look there for any support or answers, right? And so she starts looking at Eastern religions, and, and I would say just straight-up science fiction as well, and other other things to, to make some sort of connection with the world beyond to try to make sense of what's happening and, and what she should feel about this and things. And, and so I had an opportunity to speak with her a while ago. And I, I actually you know, speak with her fairly regularly, but I've been waiting right for that opportunity to, to present the gospel. And I'm speaking with her, and I said, how are you doing with the loss, you know, the loss of your husband? How is that grieving process going? You know, it was about a year ago today or something, wasn't it? You know? And so she begins talking about it, and she begins talking, of course, all that she's learned from Eastern religions and, and whatever. And, and she says, you know, what's, what's really helped me right now is to, to think that death is not something that's like unnatural, but to embrace it as a part of the life cycle. That death is, a, is something to be embraced and understood and, and welcomed or something like that. You know, Eastern religions are really big on that. And that's how they cope with death. And so I listened to her. I listened to her all the way through as she talked about this. One, because I care about her. Two, because I'm very interested in what she has to say anyway. I find this stuff very interesting. And so I listened to all that she had to say about this. And when she finally finished, I had my chance. And I was going to jump in. And I was going to give the Christian perspective. I was going to say, well, there's a few different ways that you can look at this, right? There's a few different ways you can think about it. One is that death is something to be embraced. It's natural. That's one way to look at it, and that's the way Eastern religions look at it. However, Western religions, primary Christianity, have a different perspective on it, that death is not something that was natural. In fact, it feels so unnatural, so, so grievous, because it was never meant to have something that we were to experience this. God never meant us to experience this when he created the world. This is unnatural. That's why it hurts so bad. Relationships like this were never meant to be broken. Each person's so special. Each person's so precious that God wants to save each one of them, and death isn't something to be embraced. It's a great enemy to overcome. And God has done that in Jesus Christ for you. I was going to say all that. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the grave for your eternal life so that you would never have to experience this unnatural, painful separation again. I was going to say all of that. But you know, my friend, she knows I'm a Christian and she knows I'm a pastor. And as I opened my mouth, she got wind of something that I was going to say. She, she, she realized I was going to say something Christian. And this is how far I got. I said, well, you know, there's a few different ways to look at it. That's how far I got. And my friend, she started using her voice as a shield. And she just started talking. I've had this happen to me multiple times in my life where someone starts using their voice as a shield, as a weapon to deflect any other views that they would not like to hear. And she just started talking and talking and talking. And so I waited and waited and waited. And she talked and she talked and she talked until she got to the doorway and then she left the room. <laughs> and I'm still praying for an opportunity to share the gospel. But we know that to listen is to give up control. To listen is to give up control. And in a conversation, a disagreement, 
It's oftentimes the stronger person in the disagreement who's the one who says less. Listening can be difficult. And if we want to know the Lord, if we want God to be our first love, then that's the first thing that we need to do is to listen to him. What is he saying to me? What does God want me to know? And God is so great. He's worthy of all of our love. He is worthy of all of our hearts. He withholds nothing from us that is good, but gives us everything that is good, primarily his son on the cross. And the Bible says if he's willing to give us that, then what else is he not willing to give us? Right? He gives us his son, and he, he stands there, and he waits for our response, and he says, here is my love for you. And he looks, and he sees, and he finds, will anyone respond in love to me? And Jesus tells the church in Ephesus, you've returned from, our, from your first love. You've, I have this against you. You've left your first love. That's the story in the church in Ephesus. As we're going to be reading in the Bible today, that's the story of the Israelite people. And I would say that's the story of people in the United States in the year 2022. That's the story of us and our church. That's the story of you and I. Every day we go out into the world and it's this beautiful, wonderful place. There's so many great things and there's all of these idols that call to us and we are passionate about our faith in Jesus Christ and we're going towards him, but then all of a sudden we see something else and it's not long before we start going that way and we start to leave our first love and Jesus slips back down our list and suddenly we find we've got multiple idols in our life once again. And Jesus is no longer our first love, and we need to repent and return to him. And if we're going to do that, the first thing we need to do is we need to listen to him, which can be incredibly difficult. And today we're going to read 1 Samuel chapter 3. This is one of the favorite messages that I can give. We're going to talk all about how we can hear from God. It may be the most important thing you can talk about. How can we hear from him? And 1 Samuel chapter 3 is going to reveal multiple ways that we can check and see if the voice that we're hearing is from the Lord. So we begin reading in 1 Samuel chapter 3. It says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. We have this fascinating uh, story going on in 1 Samuel. as this woman named Hannah prays to the Lord for a blessing of a son, and God answers her prayer. Her incredible faith changes her family forever. God sees her faith. He sees her passion for him, and he blesses her with a son. And she says, God, if you give me the son, I will bring him to the temple. He will be raised in the temple, and he will serve you for his life. And at the same time, Eli the priest, I said before, I said, I love Eli the priest. And somebody actually said, why do you like Eli the priest? He's the guy who fails in the story. Well, maybe it's because I can relate. But I love Eli the priest uh, so much in this, in this passage. Uh, he has, you know, he's said all the right things. He said all the right things. He's looked to lead people to the Lord. But his own children have rejected his message. And of course, as a father, he struggles with that. And so he doesn't do enough. And as we're going to read today, because he doesn't do enough, he says what to do, but he doesn't follow it up with any actions. And the Lord says, because your kids have done this, because they failed me, because you failed me by not doing enough, I'm going to remove your household from the presence of the temple. And so here we have Hannah bringing her son Eli to the temple, or her son Samuel to the temple. That's why it says, now the boy Samuel is ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. Samuel's been brought to the temple, and then at the same time as Hannah's bringing her family closer to the temple, closer to the Lord, Eli's going to be carrying his family out. This is incredible, 
seen. Now the boy Samuel is ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. And as you look at the history of Israel, God, since we sinned, since Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled, and separation came between God and his people, he had a plan to save them, to redeem them, to restore them. And he started with Abraham, and he gave him lots of kids and said, I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people. I'll teach you about myself and prepare you for my coming. That was the whole point of it. And he does. He gives Abraham all these kids. God is faithful as promises. He teaches Abraham and his kids about him, what he is and what he's like. He gives them the promised land and says, here we are. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. And immediately, the people turn away from their first love. And then what happens right before Samuel is the book of Judges. And the book of Judges, if you've ever judged and said, I don't know what I'm reading, it's because it's a story of how people are rejecting God. That's why it's so confusing. These people who are supposed to be godly people, they keep doing terrible thing after terrible thing. Is this an example I'm supposed to follow or reject? And and that's the whole point, is that these people are turning away from their first love, turning away from God. Judges is a story of how God's people so quickly get their eyes on other things and have other idols and go after other gods and, and concerns and passions. And there's a refrain through the book of Judges that in those days, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And it's repeated time and time again. And that's that's the clue in the book of Judges that what you're reading is is a bunch of people who aren't following God. In fact, the book of Judges, if you want to flip back a few pages there, right before Ruth, Judges is what happens chronologically right before Samuel. And the last words of the book of Judges is that right there, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In the book of Judges, that's meant as a great condemnation. All these people, they just do whatever they think is best. The interesting thing enough for all culture today, that could be a motto. Uh, Our culture today loves that phrase, right? Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. I'm surprised that people haven't taken that from the Bible, made a bumper sticker out of it, put it on their car with all their other bumper stickers. We all do exactly what we think is right in our own eyes. We live in a culture much today like Samuel. And we go out and we hear that voice day after day. We do what we think is right in our own eyes. And the people have stopped listening. They stopped listening to the Lord. And I've heard so many people throughout my life say, I would believe in the Lord. I would listen to him if only he spoke to me. And they read this story about Samuel and I read the story we're going to read today. If God spoke to me like that, I would believe. And I don't believe it. I think the answer is no. All these people will say, I would believe if, if God would just speak to me like that. And I feel like God is in heaven. I just imagine, imagine your conversation with God in heaven as he's looking down and he turns to one of the angels and says, What? What did he just say? What did she just say? Well, sir, he, they, they said they'd believe in you if you just spoke to them. He said, What? Well, I did. I I spoke to him over and over. In fact, I wrote it down. I wrote it down for them. I think the people, you know, if if he speaks, it's here one second, it's gone the next. What did I hear? Was that that indigestion? Did somebody say something over there? Like, Like he wrote it down so it doesn't move. It doesn't go anywhere. I know so many people would say, I would believe, but I don't think so because he's already spoken. And they're not interested in hearing it. And you might feel like the word of the Lord is rare in your life. 
And I've felt like that at different times of my life. I'm going through something difficult, and I think, God, I need specific guidance for this exact situation, and I need it now, right? God, I need it. I'm desperate. Speak to me, Lord. And we feel like the word of the Lord is rare. At my last church, there was this this elderly lady who was just a sweet, quiet lady. And I, I got to know her a little bit. And at some point, she mentioned that she used to smuggle Bibles into China. I was like, what? That's incredible. She goes, yeah, we used, to, we used to smuggle Bibles into China, and there'd be multiple times where like, our group would be on a bus, and like, they knew we were doing it. And they were kind of like waiting to catch us, you know? They suspected. They didn't know exactly who, but they knew this group of people was smuggling Bibles in. So she said, there's multiple times that I would get on a bus or something, and all of a sudden, there'd be armed guards who would come in, and they would go, and they would check everyone's luggage. They'd check everyone's things. There's multiple times where I'd just given a Bible away. Thank God. And they come, and all of a sudden, let me see your bag. It's incredible. There are places where the word of the Lord is rare, if you felt like the word of the Lord is rare and you've cried, oh God, I need to hear you. I've got good news for you. It's not rare at all. It's not rare at all. You've got it right in front of you. You can either have it on your phone or we've got Bibles all over in the, in the pockets. Feel free to take one of those Bibles home. In fact, we've got really nice Bibles back there. Really, really nice Bibles back there. Take one. If you know somebody who'll read it, take it and give it to them. We give it away not because it's cheap. Those will cost a lot of money. We give it away not because it's cheap, because it's so valuable. Thank God the word of the Lord is not rare. And so often we sit down and we say, God, I need to hear from you now. And we close our eyes and we flip open the page and we read something like, the take a census of the sons of Kohath among, from among the sons of Levi by their clans and their father's houses from 30 years after. Why am I reading about a census, Lord? (laughs) I need you. But the word of the Lord is not rare, and he's given it to us. And the word of the Lord is not so much like an instantaneous, miraculous moment where he just speaks to our specific situation. The word of the Lord is more like a vitamin pill that we take day after day, and it strengthens us so that we can go out and have victory over the enemy that we face in our everyday life. And if we feel like the word of the Lord is rare, the hard truth is it's only rare if we don't have the patience or perseverance or desire to hear it because he's given it to us. Now today I just want to talk about how God and I, I hear God in my life because it's so valuable. It's one of the things that I think I can get most excited about as I think about what I want to preach. Like, I want to share to you all of the ways that God has spoken to me in my life because I want you to hear from the Lord. And the Lord is so good, he does do those times. There are times where you do open the Bible and he speaks to you right there. That's how good our God is. But in general, I want to encourage you, be in this daily. 
Be in this regularly because it's more like a vitamin pill. However, God is so good. You know, Sarah and I were having a tough day the other day, and we hadn't had devotions in a while. And I think this is why God allows suffering in our life, to be honest, so that we turn back to him. Because as soon as suffering's gone, we forget about it. It's like, oh, we're not going to have devotions today. Put the kids to bed early. Let's watch a TV show or something. And then all of a sudden, suffering comes along in your life. You're like, I need the Lord. And then you go back to him. And so we had some suffering in our life, and we were sitting down to have devotions because we needed to hear from God. It was a tough day. And I said, well, how about one of the Psalms? And Sarah goes, and we're kind of like talking past each other, right? Because, you know, we're half listening. We both have something on our minds. We're kind of like talking at the same time, talking past each other. And I go, how about one of the Psalms? She said, oh, I heard a great song in the Psalms. And she starts flipping through Spotify. And I open up my Bible just randomly, and it was on Psalms 42, and I didn't remember what Psalms 42 was about. You think I would? I'm a pastor. I said, well, what about Psalms 42? Is the first thing I open. And, and she goes, well, the song was Psalms 42 at the same time. At the same time. And I looked down, I said, What's 40, what is Psalms 42 about? Why are you cast down on my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall praise again him I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Why are you cast down on my soul and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. There's no better passage to read. We were having a difficult day in Psalms 42, and God wanted to know that it was our, his word to the Lord for us. He wanted us to know that. So he had Sarah listen to a song about that earlier on in the day, and then he had us both suggest at the same time, and I'm like a critical guy, so I'm like, how many psalms are there again? There's 150. That means I got one out of 150 chance, but you know, there's not just one psalm on every page, so it's a little better of a chance than that, because the psalms take up 130 pages in my Bible, so I still got a one in 130 chance. It's like, yeah, that's a, that's a small enough coincidence that, okay, Lord, you've convinced me. One to 150 would have been a little better, but 130 is good enough. One out of 130. <laughs> and so God is so good. God is so good. He will speak to us through his word. And here is Samuel. And the word, the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no frequent vision. How does the, how does the Lord speak? Well, in Samuel's day, he only had this part of the Bible. And God had been revealing to that to the prophets through visions. And in the New Testament, it describes to us what should be normative, right? What should be normal? What's the normal kind of experience that we hear from God? Hebrews 1.1 says this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom we appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. And so God was speaking to the prophets through visions. In the New Testament, he's speaking to people through his son. And so we have that. We have the completed scriptures. We have the word of the Lord. And that's what we should be primarily looking to, to hear God's word in our life. This is God's word. We have the prophets. We have the message. And we have the words of Jesus. And they are found in here. And so the word of the Lord was rare. It mentions vision because the word of the Lord is being written through visions. So how does God speak? He speaks through the prophets and he speaks through the Son. If you want to turn with me quick to 2 Timothy 3.16, in our, in our membership statement, in our bylaws, in our, our statements of faith, the first statement is that Scripture is our authority. Scripture is our authority. I've been very interested in authority these last few years, primarily because of COVID, right? 
We were to submit to, the Bible tells us, submit to our authorities. And so I was really like, wow, this is really real now. Like, what do I do? What do I not do? And it made me think about authority in the church, authority in my life, authority in the government, like all those things. And then I saw that in our Bible. Again, Scripture is our authority. And I thought, where in the Bible does it say Scripture is our authority? And so 2 Timothy 3.16, it talks about all Scripture is breathed out by God. And so since God is our authority, this is his word, and so this is authoritative in our lives. So when we look at how to live, if we look at what's right, what's wrong, what would Jesus say, what would God do, we look to hear. All scriptures breathed out by God. He inhaled, he went, and then he went, and knocked off his microphone. And this came out. This is directly from God. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. This is enough so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so God speaks through the scriptures. God speaks through the Bible. The interesting thing enough is that you can read the Bible, and because of the hardness of your heart, you can still not hear from God. It's not just the words on the page that are important. It's the Holy Spirit that goes with it. Psalms 119, verse 18, says this. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of the law. We have to come to an attitude of, God, open my eyes so that I may behold what you are saying in here. Because people can miss it. And because of the hardness of our hearts or the sin in our lives, people can read the Bible and not come to God's word. I had a professor like that in college. I went to a Catholic school. I had this professor, and he's just, I mean, the dude was just so far off. I remember I'd sit and listen to this guy, and it shook my faith. I was like, how can you spend your life? He's an old man. How can you spend your life studying the word and not seem to be understanding what it's saying? But you can have spiritless Bible reading. And so it's not just reading the Bible, it's submitting our hearts to the Lord, it's submitting our hearts to the Holy Spirit, it's coming to the Lord to listen to what he has to say. And there's all sorts of people who read the Bible, and they critique it, and they dismiss it, and they don't like it. It's because it's spiritless Bible reading. John 16, 13 tells us the importance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. John 16, 13 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. There's that word again. Holy Spirit won't speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And so it's the Holy Spirit of God that leads us. What does Psalms 23 says? He leads us in paths of righteousness. And so the Holy Spirit of God is the one who comes. And if we read the word and if we find God's word in this book right here, it's not just because it's written down. It's because the Holy Spirit of God has revealed that to our hearts. Without the Holy Spirit, the veils are still over our eyes. And we need God to reveal that to us. And so as we look to hear from God, we look to his word, and then we look to his word with his spirit to teach us things out of his word. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom 
which I would say is just one of the aspects of the Holy Spirit, but that's a synonym, another name for him. He's a spirit of peace, a spirit of joy. He's also a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? When we read this, if we don't come to a feeling and an understanding of the outrageous, incredible riches of our faith in Jesus Christ and what he's blessed us with, there's more to be understood There's more to read, and there's been more to be revealed to us by his Holy Spirit. And so here we look to the Word, and we look to the Word according to the Holy Spirit. You know, one of our elders sent me a passage from 2 Corinthians that he thought would speak to me. And I read that passage, and I actually went to some of my other Bibles, because he texted to me. And I went to some of my Bibles, I said... Is that what it really says? I've read 2 Corinthians like so many times and I've never heard it say this. And I went and I read it and then my body said, yes, that's amazing. It does say that. You think I would have caught that before. And so I went back and I read 2 Corinthians again. It's like God wrote the whole thing to me. I think it might be out of all the experiences I've had reading the Bible, it might be the most awesome jaw-dropping experience I've ever had. As I read the book of 2 Corinthians, and it was like the Lord just, you could insert my name into it. And so the Lord speaks through his word, and he speaks through the Holy Spirit. Here, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Last week, we talked about how the Bible equips us and prepares us. But the Holy Spirit has to lead us the last bit of the way. And so when we're looking to hear from God, we start with the word. This is the normative experience that God has given for us all to share as a church, as believers. This is the experience that God has given us to connect with him, the word and the Holy Spirit. But you know, there's a little more as well. Because there are specifics to the situation that the Holy Spirit needs to reveal to us. And we talked about that last time, uh, last sermon, as we talked about how we can do what Eli was called to do, right? Eli spoke the word to his sons, but they weren't following, and he needed to take further actions. But that wasn't specifically laid out in Scripture. What his sons were to be doing actually was. But if they weren't, there was some sort of thing that he needed to do that wasn't written down in here. Now, if God wrote it all down, every specific situation, everything we needed, the book would be, I mean, it would fill the room. It would fill rooms and rooms and rooms. I mean, that's essentially what our secular world tries to do. They try to come up with laws for every specific situation. In Minnesota, we had a governor that was running for governor named Jesse Ventura back in the day. And he took us to the the place where all the laws were kept in the state legislature. He said, look at this. Hall after hall, room after room. This is ridiculous. We're going to repeal some of these things. The guy got voted in. Everybody was sick of having so many laws. So here the Bible gives us the training we need. It gives us everything we need to be equipped. But then there are specifics that the Holy Spirit, he's got to lead us that last step of the way. We've read the word. We've understood the principles. Now we need the Holy Spirit to come and lead us and guide us to apply it and give us that last step of the way. And that was the Lord was expecting of Eli. God is going to hold Eli accountable in this passage for not listening to his spirit, for doing something. He had the word, something was going wrong, and he should have known that he needed to do this thing. And so when we're looking to hear from the Lord, we read the word, we prepare ourselves, we equip ourselves, and then we look to the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in those specifics that are beyond what is mentioned in the manual. Does God still speak to us today? Yes. 
He does. But we know that when he speaks, it'll be according to his word. It'll be in the same vein, with the same principles, the same values, and it won't contradict his written word. And if it does contradict his word, then we need to think critically about what we're hearing. I've shared before, there was a guy who came into my church one day. He was the happiest guy I've ever seen. He, had this, he was an older guy, and he had this beautiful young bride, and they came in, and we're looking for a new church. I said, oh, great. Well, what brings you here? Well, you know, though, I was in a bad marriage, and the Lord just brought this wonderful woman into my life, and so I left my wife, and I married her, and, you know, she took the old church, and now I'm going to find a new one. And I was like, turn right back around. <laughs> the Lord did not tell you that at all. That is not what the Lord said at all. And I said right there in the foyer, I said, you know, we'd be happy to have you at this church, but we submit to the word of the Lord here. And if you're willing to do that, if you're ready to take that step in our life, then you come into here because we would love to have you. But we follow God's word here. And God does not tell us to break our commitments. The Lord does not tell us to get divorced. And so here you can have all these people who hear from, say that they're hearing from the Lord, and you read the word and you think there's something wrong here. Does the Lord speak to us today? Yes. Does the Lord give people visions? Yes. I've had enough friends. The IHOP is right here in Kansas City. And so we might experience this more than other places in the nation. IHOP is a group of people that are incredibly open to the Holy Spirit. And yet there's also some things that are very off there also. And how do you know? The word. I've had enough friends from IHOP who love IHOP. They go to IHOP and they come back and they talk about the visions and some of the visions that they give, I'm like, that is amazing. They say, this thing's going to happen and it happened. I'm like, God gave them a vision. That's incredible. That's amazing. But then I hear other people come back and they say, God gave me a vision. He said that and that doesn't happen. <laughs> or they say, God gave me a vision. And I look at it and I was like, there's something wrong with that vision because it contradicts what's in here. And so here the Bible says there was no frequent vision. Is there vision today? Well, if you look at Joel chapter 2, verse 28. I'm going to choke on Sunday morning here. Where'd Joel go? (laughs) Come on, Joel, there it is. And it shall come to pass afterward that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. And so here, Joel is prophesying about the day of the Lord. Now, part of this has already been fulfilled. But as we've been reading, as we've been talking about, especially in HCCU, prophecy also has two focuses in mind, one a near fulfillment and one a far fulfillment. And so Joel is talking about something that's already been fulfilled here, but there's also a fulfillment that's coming far off. And I would say that it's very likely that God is giving people visions and dreams today. Of course, I can't verify it. God would have to speak to to that. But I've seen enough people with visions and things that are just beyond what a normal person could have come up with or understood. And so I fully believe that God is giving us visions. But this is the normative experience. If you're looking to hear from God, I wouldn't primarily start with visions. I would start with his word. But God does lead us beyond that with his Holy Spirit into specifics and to speak with us of visions and dreams. I feel like I've had a dream from the Lord. 
All right, I had this one dream and I'm sitting there and most of my dreams are just completely nonsensical. I don't know if you're like this, but I'll be like sitting there and one minute it's like, you know, I got my wife next to me. I'm talking to her in the car in the dream and the next turn I turn over and it's like a unicorn and then I'm not driving a car anymore. I'm on a cloud. And then, you know, it's just like just complete randomness. It's just insanity. My dreams are nuts. They make no sense. But I had this one dream about 15 years ago, and I'm in this banquet hall in this castle, and there's torches on the wall and a fireplace, and there's a bunch of people in the room, and there's a big, beautiful table up front where all these people are sitting, sort of leading this banquet, and this guy gets up to speak, and he's a doctor, and he says, you know, my son developed this disease, and I'm here to tell you a story about my son and this disease, and he said, you know, he had a lung disease, and it stopped from breathing, all these things, all these, it's going to kill him, you know, and he talks all about it. And I forget a lot of the specifics, but he's a doctor. And so he, uh, he shares his story about as he goes to the doctor and brings his son to the doctor. And the doctor has explained to him all that they know about this disease and all the tests that they run. And he says, as he's giving his story, he says, people are so amazing. That was the refrain that he just kept repeating. People are so amazing that they were able, I bring my son in and they describe the test to me. I'm a doctor, so understand it. You inject the marker into the veins and it goes and it shows you where the lungs are affected and all these things. And people are so amazing that they're able to understand this disease. They're under, able to understand the cell, able to un- create the treatment. People are so incredible that when the treatment didn't work, they're able to invent a surgery. They're able to do this. And he just goes on and on and on. And it's so intense. I'm listening. I'm like, does it, wh- what happened to this guy's son, right? Like what's going to happen in this story? And he just keeps going on and on about his son and the treatment, how amazing that people are that we can do all of this. And he said, since I'm a doctor, it came down to it that I was going to operate on my son myself because who else would I trust with that kind of a thing? Right? And I'm, it's just like this crazy dream. I'm like, what, what's going to happen, you know? And he says, as amazing as people are, in this dream, he goes, as amazing as people are, there's one thing that people can't do. There's one thing that a man can do. And I'm like, is he going to say that he couldn't save his son? You know, hanging on every word. And he says, there's one thing that people can't do. And he said, save themselves. And all of a sudden, I realized that I was a banquet, at a banquet for Jesus Christ because he's our savior. And, and you know, I, don't, I don't even know in the dream if, the guy could, if they were able to save his son because that didn't even matter. What matters is we've got a savior. It was an incredible, incredible dream. It was unlike any other dream I've had. And then I look at the Bible, I'm like, yeah, that seems like what God would say. If he was going to give me a dream, that seems like what he'd say. And so when you're looking at dreams and visions, if you get dreams and visions, you hold them up to this. Now, the charismatic movement is fascinating. I'm going to talk about that for just another minute before we go on and finish this chapter. We're going to finish this chapter, guys. Don't worry. We're going to get there. But, you know, I came to Christ out of a, a very charismatic experience. I was desperate for the Lord. I was ready to reject my life, right? I was like, this is not good enough. I am empty. I need you, Lord. And I found him, and I found his spirit, and it changed my life. And it was a very charismatic, pointed conversion experience. And then I started kind of looking around a little more at the people around me, the charismatic people around me. I was like, you know, I received the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I looked around, and... I thought, you know, I think some of these people are, are faking some of these experiences. And yet I had received something real, and many people there had received something real, but I looked around and there was some faking. It was very disturbing, and, and so I needed to get into the Word. 
Because I realize there's something happening here. It's both good and bad. When you're that open to the Holy Spirit, you're open to real moves of the Holy Spirit, but then you're also like open to deception as well. And I talked to one of my professors about that. And this professor had this great advice. He says, you know, the people who come to the Lord through these charismatic experiences, they're oftentimes people who have great suffering in their lives or experience great trauma or are so desperate for the Lord. I was like, that really describes me and it describes most of the people I know at these things. They're so desperate for God. They're willing to do anything. They'll go to a church service and have a guy poke him on the forehead and fall on the floor looking for the Lord, you know? I was like, that makes, that makes sense. These people are so desperate for God. Not only are they open to him so that he can move for real in their lives, but then also they're so desperate for him, they're also willing to pass a deception in substitution for reality. And so as we're looking at charismatic experiences, we don't want to make those our primary focus. We want his word to be our primary focus. I was talking with a young lady at work one day, and she was all about excited about the Lord. She's so excited about God. But none of it was about what I was experiencing in my daily life. It was all about, like, I need God to speak to me, to show me where to go. She was miserable. She's one of those people just miserable. Her husband and her had just divorced. She was left with two little kids. I don't know the circumstances behind it, but it was obviously terrible. And she was so miserable in her current situation. She was just fixated on this prophetic fixated on this charismatic because she desperately wanted to be delivered from the situation that she was in. And so as I sat there and talked with her day after day, you know, she had these two little kids and she never talked about that. What was God doing in her life now? It was always like sort of some, some other thing. And so I'd say, how are your kids doing? How are your kids? Did you have a chance to connect with your kids today with all that you're doing? Do you have a chance to, do you have time to read devotions with your kids and read the word with your kids? Because here I was just getting this strong sense that she was looking for her faith to escape reality because it was so hard. Instead of using her faith to overcome it and find out what God was doing in the present. And so as we're talking about hear from God, we read his word, but it can't be spiritless. It's got to be spirit-filled. And the Lord will go beyond what it says here to start speaking to us and leading us in the specifics of our life. But we've got to make sure it's according to the word. But we want and need both. And so in this church, I want the move of the Holy Spirit, right? We'll come up and we'll do altar calls. We'll have people come up and prayer for healing and things like that. We want God to move. We won't because things can go wrong because this, you know, people can say that God spoke to him when they didn't, whatever. We're not going to throw out the baby with the bath water, right? We want the spirit to move, but we also need to make sure it's according to his word. I was doing some counseling with a couple, and he came from more of a, you know, a stodgy kind of church where, you know, the guy stands up with robes and, you know, waves smoke and does things, you know, whatever. I forget exactly which one it was, but, you know, he's always very reserved in his faith, and he fell in love with a lady from the charismatic movement, and she was just all about it. You could just see how, like, God could use both of them to bring each other closer, and they was like, fantastic. But as I was talking with him, you know, for him, I had to say, like, well, you know, it's more than just religious ritual, right? It's not just spiritless Bible reading. There's more, and you can be open to that. And then for her, you know, I described out their relationship and what she was doing was every time there was something to be decided or done, she would say, well, the Lord told me this to her husband. Well, you, yeah, you want to spend money on that, but God told me this. And so I said, 
You can't, you gotta look at, you gotta, you gotta stop that, okay? I'm not trying to destroy your faith, okay? You can feel that the Lord is leading you, guiding you for sure, but you bring that and you talk with each other because you might adjust that a little bit as God speaks through your husband and other people in your life too. God just doesn't speak through you, he speaks through his church and he's gonna speak through your husband. And if you bring that to every argument, well, God told me this and what is your husband gonna say? Right, how can he ever, how can he, God ever use him in your life? Because God's already told you all the things. And that shuts down any conversation. There's so many times where we sit, and this is going to be another point in the sermon, but there's so many times where we sit, you know, and, and in our elders' meetings and stuff like that, and I'll throw out an idea to our elders, and I say, I think God wants us to do this or whatever. And then they'll come back and they'll say, no. <laughs> no. And I hear what they say, and I go, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's good wisdom right there. I was off, and I've now adjusted, and I've helped to discern God's path for my life because I've heard through his church. All right, let's go back to the scriptures. But God speaks through his word. He speaks through his spirit. He's speaking today. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. If you read Exodus chapter 27, verse 21, I think it talks about this lamp of God. They light it in the evening, and it burns through the temple through the morning, and then the priest is supposed to wake up and extinguish that light in the morning. I forget why. Sorry, I should have gone into that for you. But that's, that's what's happening here. And so a lot of us, I think that you know, Samuel's like going to bed right now. The answer is no, he's already woken up. It's in the early morning hours. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. Sounds like it's about to, you know, it's just about time to put that out. So that'd be very early in the morning, maybe even before the sunrise. And it's Samuel's job to take care of that, that ritual. That ritual has significance. It has meaning. It has something that God wanted them to learn about him. That's why he had him have this light burn overnight, probably signifying his presence overnight or something like that, right? So Samuel's lying down. It's in the early morning. And he's in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, that's not his bed, okay? It's a lot of times, and you, you know, you can read a lot of different things, and, and a lot of people say different things about it, but as I read this, you know, some commentaries and some people feel like he was in bed. I don't think he was in bed because he was where the ark of the Lord was. He didn't have a bed there. You can read about the temple and how it was described. He didn't have a bed near the ark of the Lord. He wouldn't have a bed near the lamp of God. So here what Samuel, I think, is doing is he's not just like laying in bed, like snoozing in the early morning. He is diligent to the Lord. He's on time. He's awake. He's not going back to sleep because he's going to have a job to do. He's tending to the Lord. If we want to hear from God, we've got to take the time to hear him. We've got to create space. If we want to hear from God, we've got to look at the, look at the word. We've got to look at his spirit. and We've got to create space for him to do so. We talked a while ago. I challenged people we listen to all these other voices. We listen to the TV. We listen to the social media, whatever. And we don't listen to his word. We've turned from our first love. Our first love is other things. It's hearing the voice of other people. And I challenge this. I said, you can be a scholar or you can be a scroller. What are you doing in those times before you get up from work? What are you doing in those times before you go to bed? Are you sitting on social media just endlessly scrolling? Or are we reading his word? We've got to create space. Here, Samuel is going to hear from God, and he's created the space in his life to do so. Verse 4, then the Lord called Samuel and said, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But I said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. He thinks he hears the word of the Lord, and he goes to who? He goes to a mentor. God works through the church. 
God works through other people. As you're looking to decipher where God is leading you, you have to listen to other people. And primarily, you have to listen to his church. We read the word, we hear from God, and we bring it back to others to discuss it. Those elder meetings are so valuable because I said, I think God wants to do this. And I talk with Dave and Jeff and James and Laith, and we come out that God is going to do that. And we all bring this perspective, and God guides us. And if you want to hear from the Lord, you need to be discipled. One of the things that I see from the charismatic movement, and from many people as well, I should actually say, as many people who, who study the word too, their faith seems to be more about God exalting them than humbling them. People, there are people who sit here and hear sermons, and they don't apply it to themselves, and we know people like this. They hear sermons, and you get out of church and say, what'd you think? Oh, that sermon was great. I wish this person had been there, and this person had been there, and this person had been there. It would have been a great sermon for them. I'm going to share it to them online. And, you know, what, what about you? <laughs> How is God speaking to you? Or you hear these people say, God gave me a vision. He gave me a dream, and he said this, this, and this, and you need to do this, and you all need to do this. Well, who's discipling you? And so here Eli has got, Samuel's got a disciple. He's got a mentor. I've got mentors. I run it by them. I talk about where God is leading me. Am I right or am I wrong? And all of my sin comes out at different points, and they say, well, this was right, but this one's wrong. And here Eli's got that in his life. Do you have that in yours? Who is discipling you? Who are you able to run things by? That's why small groups are so important. If you're not in a small group, get in a small group. That's why HCCU is so important. That's why a women's retreat is so important. Because you get around other believers who can validate what God is saying or say, you know what, I think the voice you're hearing is not the one you should be listening to. You've convinced yourself that your voice is the Lord's voice. Here Samuel wonders, who's this, this voice? And he goes to his mentor, and his mentor helps him decipher it. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. And he said, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. That's why this topic is so important. You can come to church. You can hear me preach. You can see all the people worship. You can engage yourself. You can get a taste of the Lord. But until the word of the Lord has been revealed to you, you don't know him yet. But you can and you will if you humble yourself, if you seek, if you follow these things. But that's why it's so important to hear about yourself. How do you know God's voice if it has not been revealed to you? I have these three nephews. I, they're fantastic. I used to go over to the house, and they're all close in age. Three nephews and a niece, actually. Three nephews and a niece, and they'd all be in their diapers because they're all like so close in age. It was like four, three, two, one. And I'd come to the door and the little gate at the top of the stairs at the split entry, they'd all be waiting for Uncle Jeremy, Uncle Jeremy. And I'd come in the house and I'd go upstairs and they'd line up and I'd say, throw me in the air, throw me in the air. And I'd grab and I'd throw one three times and then he would run to the back of the line. And I'd throw the other three times and then she would run to the back of the line. And they all grew up and they... They just do everything together and they share cell phones. Now, I don't know what the deal is, but I can never figure out who I'm calling because they give me their number and the next week the other one's got the cell phone and they must get tired of it. I'll trade you mine for yours and I'll give you this for that. And so I call and I can never figure out who I'm calling. And so I'll call and I'll start talking and I can figure it out almost immediately because I've known them since they were kids. I know their voice and I 
pick it up, and they all sound the same. But this one starts talking about music, and I realize I called his brother's phone, but they switched, and I'm talking to Michael now because he's the one who talks about music. Or he starts laughing and joking. I'm thinking, I'm talking to Stealing now. He's the guy who laughs and jokes all the time. I know it. Or Bryce gets on the phone, and Bryce starts talking a mile a minute like me, and I think, that's Bryce. He's the one who talks at double speed. And I know their voice. And you can listen to me. You can read a book about Jesus. But how do you know what you're hearing is his voice unless the word of the Lord has been revealed to you? Somebody gave me a book about Jesus recently. It's very interesting. It's one of those more prophetic books. And I read it. And the guy starts writing in the first person as though he were Jesus talking. I was very uncomfortable with that because I thought I would never speak as Jesus. Jesus speaks. I could never speak as Jesus. Jesus speaks for himself through his Holy Spirit. I could never sit down and write, I am Jesus and I say this. I thought that was very strange. And I read it. And I read the whole thing. It was very positive. It was encouraging. You know, and things like that. But there's something odd about it because he didn't speak like the Jesus in here. And this is where we learn about how Jesus talks. This is how we learn about where Jesus talks. And that's why we don't get rid of phrases like sloppy wet kiss, because that's actually kind of how Jesus talked. He'd say something that he knew would draw out and reveal what's in your heart, because he wants you to know, he wants others to know what's in there. And how do we know his voice if it has not been revealed? That's why it's so important to get into the word and submit ourselves to the spirit. And the Lord called Samuel again a third time. He rose and went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. And Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. There's submission there. Speak, Lord, for I hear. I don't just hear you, but I'm willing to follow. If we want to hear from the Lord, we look to his word. We look to his spirit. We make time. We speak to a mentor. And then we need to be willing to obey. You know who else heard God's word was Pharaoh. How did that go for him as he heard the word of the Lord over and over and hardened his heart against it over and over? We have to be willing to obey. And that's one of the reasons why I feel people look so beyond the scripture for God's word. There's so many people who look beyond the scripture for God's word because obeying is not their primary goal. If the word of God is not enough for you, think about this. Could it be because you're avoiding obedience? Look at what 2 Timothy 3.16 says about God's word and what it's used for. Teaching. Teaching. Are you teachable? There's a lot of Christian material out there. And if you're gravitating to those, these different Christian and not God's word, is it because God's word is teaching something that you don't want to follow? It's good for teaching. It's good for reproof and correction. <laughs> Who wants that, <laughs> right? Put it away. <laughs> Put it away. What did I sign up for? I didn't want to change. I wanted God to change my life around me. I wanted God to change that person and that person and that person. And that's why I listen to Christian music. And that's why I read Christian books. And that's why I don't read the Bible. Because I want him to change you, <laughs> But changing is very hard myself. It's reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. Psalms 23, he leads me in paths of what? Righteousness. That means I've got to change. That means I've got to submit. 
That means I've got to repent so the man of God may be equipped for every good work. And so here, Samuel's willing to obey. And if we want to hear from the Lord, we've got to be willing to obey. And the Lord came and stood, calling us at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak your servant, her ears. And the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel which two ears of the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house and from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. The Lord has spoken. What kinds of things does God say? If you turn with me to the book of John, chapter 16, what does the Holy Spirit do? Verse 8, 16, verse 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And here, that's what God is doing. It seems to be, a, this, is a, this is the word of the Lord. It seems to be a court of, a court of in, in line with what God kind of does. And so Samuel lay until morning and he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision of Eli. Everybody's ears are going to tingle. The judgment has come. This is intense. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. Do you want to hear what God has to say? Whatever it is that God has to say, do you want to hear it? If you do, that's a huge step taking forward to begin to prepare your heart to hear from him. If you're like, so like, I don't want to hear that, that, or that. Eli's like, I don't care what it is. This is, this is why, again, Eli, he failed, but I can relate to this guy. Don't hide it from me. If anything can be destroyed by the truth, then let it be destroyed. I need to hear it. May God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. Tell me. And so Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, this is what Eli says, he being Eli. Listen to what he says. After, after Samuel tells him about his house is going to be judged, there's no more forgiveness. It's time. He says, look at this. He goes, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. God is perfectly good. That's why I love Eli. He knows God. He knows God enough. He knows his kids. He knows his situation. He knows what happened. And even though it's a hard word, he says, it sounds like the Lord I know. He's so good. I can trust him even in this. He'll know what's good to do. If that's what he said, then let him do it. Let him do. He's so good. Let him do what seems good to him. He can do no wrong. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. We got to get ourselves into the word. If we want to turn to our first love, we got to get ourselves into the word and hear from him. How do I hear from God? I think he's given me some dreams. I think the Holy Spirit has led me. I try to use that word, led me to do real specific things that have really gone well and that I can tell that he has prepared for me. He's led me to do other things that have gone really, really bad. And yet that's still not the whole point of it. God has led me to do different things. 
He's led me to some of those specifics according to his word. And he's spoken to me as through his word. Like in Psalms 42, he gives me comfort. He gives me assurance. And other times he speaks to me just like he spoke to Eli. I was reading through the book of 1 John the other day. If you want to be convicted of your sin, read through 1 John. 1 John chapter 5, 4, 3. It's in there. He says, He says, if anyone claims to love the God they can't see, but does not love the brother. Oh, there it is. 420. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. I just, I just read that and like my sin, I just, I've been harboring hatred towards an individual. And I read that and I was like, my sin. Isaiah 6, chapter 5. This is what happens when Isaiah enters the presence of God. How do you know you're hearing from God? Do you have a reaction like this? He gets in the presence of God. He said, woe is me for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of people, unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord. When we see the Lord, I, I don't know how you can get around it. When you see him in his beauty and his holiness, you repent of your sin. I read the word and it's like Eli that says, that sounds like God. If anyone says, I love his brother and hates his brother, he's a liar. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has not seen, or he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And I sit there and I think, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm in the presence of God, for I've seen the Lord. Here's the thing. If you're avoiding the Bible, because you're avoiding teaching a correction and reproof, right? It's probably because you don't know the forgiveness of the Lord. The only reason why I can sit here and do that is because I know of Jesus Christ's love and forgiveness for me. Otherwise, I'd be crushed. But instead, when I read that, I'm not crushed. Instead, when I'm I am washed. It's a difference. Because I know I'm not condemned. Jesus has saved me. And I see the Lord condemn my sin and I condemn it myself and I say, praise the Lord. John chapter 16, verse three. I've been really impressed by this metaphor of washing with the word lately. Ephesians chapter six says the same things. Jesus washes his church with the word. 16, verse three. Not 16, verse three. Did I write this down here? 15, verse three, maybe? It's 15, verse three. Jesus tells his disciples, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. And as I read passages like 1 John and I repent and I'm in the presence of the Lord and I just, my sin is right there, like I'm not crushed by it, I'm saved from it because of my faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for me on the cross. If you're avoiding God's word, if when you hear a sermon you just think of other people, it's probably because you need to know that the Lord has forgiven you through his son and he doesn't condemn you through your faith because of your faith. He doesn't condemn you of your sin. He saves you from it and he washes you from it. And if we want to hear from the Lord, if we want to hear him, then we've got to get stronger in our faith in his son and his forgiveness. It's the stronger person who's able to sit there and listen. And if you want to hear from God, study the Bible. Ask God what he would have to say. Give him space to speak. Talk to a mentor and be willing to obey. Let's pray.